What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Levers Podcast. This is episode number 10. We have a very special episode today. We got Mark Baker, or Guru Anaerobic, from Twitter on the pod, tuning in from London. Um, usual Levered lads, Tej, Shake, and Crisp are all here. Um, and today we're going to be talking about how Mark's philosophy sort of fits into the Levers Podcast. So, for listeners, a little bit of a summary. For Mark, maybe an introduction. The Levers podcast is focused on finding little behaviors in life that give a magnified output per input of energy. Um, Mark is someone I found via Twitter um, back in the day. Uh, Mark's philosophy is very freedom-seeking. Um, he's sort of maybe not coined, but popularized this term of unemployable in its most positive, robust sense. Um, and so we're going to kind of talk about that philosophy, how it applies to life, relationships, work, fitness, and how living in that vein might be more of a, of a lever for you. Um, so with that, lads, you guys have any questions to kick it off? I'll start, TJ. First of all, thank you for inviting me to this conversation. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a privilege to be here. And talk with people literally a third of my age i think you know about that so it's good uh because when i was your age you know in my 20s i thought that someone who was 60 was had nothing to offer you know just like some petrified fossil or something so it's nice as a petrified fossil to come and talk health and lifestyle and things with 20 something year olds so i think you're probably more advanced than i was at your age so that's a good sign you're already thinking about things that perhaps I didn't think about when I was in my 20s. It took me a while for them to like sink into my brain. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's good to be here. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, age is a number, right? Uh, age is a number until you start getting aches and pains in your joints, you know. <laughs> yeah, of course, you know, it's um, um, age is a number. Uh, it does have relevance as well, but it's also a signifier of how long you've been on the planet. So hopefully you will have learned something in that period, you know. But uh, yeah, right, so you've as seen, again, you've seen a lot good of to be here. All right, all right. Well, well, let's uh, let's kick it off by winding it all the way back to the beginning. So, if I remember correctly, uh, you left school at seventeen. You went to work for Barclays Bank for two years, which is absolutely hilarious in hindsight. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but so how did, what was kind of the first catalyst where you were like, this is obviously not something I want. And the cost of not being free vastly exceeds the paycheck. And it's time for me to go figure something else out. What, how'd that all unroll? I think um, there's two there are two parts of life, and I do know, looking back at my life, there are certain epiphanies that you have, where you go in one day, and you come out the end of the day, and your mindset has changed, you know. But there's also things that happen on a slow boil; they take quite a while to sink in. So I think those are the two ways your life changes. One is some epiphany, and or event which you've generated or which has happened to you uh, and the other are things which change over time you know the sort of slow boil effect but I think um, after about a year uh, because I had I, I went straight from it was in the 70s in the late 70s crikey 
77 or something or 78 which is seems like so old now um when i just had the requisite um exams qualifications you know they were called o levels i have a certificate from my school and then the natural thing for me because people in my family work people around me worked and school had you know told me that's what you do you take your exams and you go out and get a job and so i had that and so naturally i applied to work for barclays bank and had an interview and i got in uh and about a year's time and so it's very novel because i was working uptown in london uh and that was all exciting you know i had money in my pocket i couldn't spend the money because i was living at home you know i uh, the money that was going into my account was basically staying there so i accumulated money and then i was you know i was going out i was going to see groups music going to going out to the pubs with my mates and stuff like that so it's a great time and i was going as i say i was going uptown to london so it was all great you know that was fine and after about a year i thought oh it, it just suddenly hit me and i thought this isn't what i want and i first of all i thought it, i didn't want to work for the bank and i realized later on it wasn't about i didn't want to work for the bank i didn't want to work full stop you know i didn't want to do the night the, the after a year the novelty effect sort of died out and i was left with me just going every day to work uh, and it took me a while to realize that it wasn't the bank that was a problem is that i didn't fit into the full employment scene and uh, i looked at the people around me and in the bank at that time in the 70s people worked in a bank man and boy you know there were people ready to retire and they'd worked in a bank for 45 50 years and i looked around nothing against them but i thought i don't want that i saw how they looked and what they spoke about and the fact that you know bank employees had got money you know a bit got money i got married and that their social life was the bank their friends were people who worked at the bank i thought that's not what i want uh but it took me quite a few you know it took me a number of years to really get out of that system but um it was from then really i became increasingly dissatisfied with uh, employment and it took me even longer to realize that that didn't make me abnormal because there's millions and millions and millions of people who hate employment because they feel trapped you know right and so it took well, me, I, I, it took I, me you know yeah I think that that's one of the trickiest things about um, the rat race, which is like we, we grow up and we look to our parents and other people for examples of how to act, what to do. And we, we, we slither into these roles that seem so natural, like it's the natural trajectory of life. You go to school, you get a job, you have a boss. That's what we're taught. That's what we inherit. Right. And I think for a lot of people um, having to question that stim simulation or that you know, obvious trajectory or role of life is very hard to do. So to your point, right, a lot of people are dissatisfied in their jobs. They know they're dissatisfied. But instead of recognizing that they're dissatisfied with working or having to suck up to an authority that's a boss, they're like, I'm dissatisfied with this particular company. I need to go do something else, right? And so that's, I think, uh, sort of a, a perpetuation loop that happens. But ultimately, when you leave that system, it can be very, very scary for people. So we try to kind of, you know, recognize, recognize that the sort of unemployed life is absolutely not for everyone. And there's nothing to be ashamed of if you like the security, right? Of course. Yeah. 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 Mark, I had, I had, I'd be curious your take on something. I was talking about with this, uh, with my girlfriend last night as I was finishing up your book. And I get the sense sometimes that nobody wants to be employed like no one wants to work a nine to five right sometimes i think like that but then i question is that just my bias or 
is it, you know, because I'm like, maybe they don't even know that they don't want it. Maybe they don't know that they have other passions that they could, you know, make a living from. Um, what what are your thoughts on that? Is it, because obviously you, you, you mentioned in your book something like, um, you know, the internet wouldn't be possible without people working at these corporations, right? But like, do you think hypothetically everybody would want to be self-employed? Uh, no, I don't actually, because I do think there are people who want to be, uh, uh, I don't want to use the word slave, but they, they, they're very secure being employed. They know what's going to happen the next day. They know the money's going to come in uh, and they're quite happy to be told what to do, you know, to have someone organize their work day. Uh, and I don't think there's anything wrong with those people. Uh, what are the names of these people? You know, when to to improve, you know, in, in, if you have a, a colony of insects, some will stay or, or ants. Some will stay back in their nest and what have you do the usual things. And others will just take out like random walks around the environment and they might come across a source of food or a new place for the nest to go. And it may be the case that eight out of ten of those insects that go off at a different angle, they die because they don't find anything, you know, but two find a new supply of whatever it is resources or food or what have you so i think you need both you need people who stay on the island and people who go out on a boat and you know see they can find another island and some of those people may drown you know may die might not come back and others will find a new form of way of living or a new life or what have you so i i do think you need both and i i think i said in, in well i know i said in game fit that you know if you're uh self-employed i don't even the self-employed employed business though, to me is all irrelevant now because you've got a new economy and the new economy is that you make money from your interests okay so i'm not interested in business owner self-employed all that's yeah that, that exists but for me it's irrelevant in the new economy but you know you do need people still need to build houses at the moment sweep the streets collect the rubbish you know the trash so for every free person you have i'm i I won't just say what explain what free means because then you can talk about what's free and what isn't free. But for every free person, you need a hundred slaves because those are the ones who do make the things that the free person can use to be still free. So you know the new economy is is based on apps, websites, the internet, you know connections, email, you know AI, you know all sorts of things which these nerds and people have built by being employed mostly. Being employed by people who've created companies, of course. Uh, so I couldn't exist really unless I decided to go completely off grid, have land and grow chickens, which you can do. But that's quite a hard life. It's not an easy life, you know, and uh, your kids need to be educated, perhaps, you know, whether it's homeschool or whatever. So someone needs to teach them or whatever. So, yeah, you, you, you need both for a functioning economy. You need both. You can't be all sovereign individuals because society would collapse. All it is, is what's right for you as a person. That's all I care about. So if you don't, if you want to stay working in a job and that's right for you, absolutely do it. But if it isn't, there's nothing wrong with you. You know, you, you, you know, so some people want the security of being employed, but for me, it was suffocating. So I had to leave. I think uh, if you like look at some, like the big five personality test or, like sometimes those feel like astrology, but there is some merit there. If you're like, if you're more, you have like a higher drive or affinity for openness and maybe a little less conscientious in some ways, you might want to be, you know, doing more new things versus if you're extremely, if you're not very open and you're very conscientious and that certain other 
personality traits. Like I think a company, a, a more hierarchical organization is better for you because there's less uncertainty and you're given what to do and there's more security. And like a lot of people like that. Um, and, and that's fine. Like it's almost like it's encoded in like the genome, right? Like some people need to be more exploratory and some people need to be more uh, exploitative where they do what already works. If everyone was trying new things, it would be chaos, right? Of course. I think I wrote that, that it's, you know, people do have natural predispositions and they're heightened or lessened by the environment they're in. So I think people naturally want the security. And if they come from an environment where there's that security, their parents worked, they go to school, they get their exams, they go to university, they go and get a job, then that reinforces their natural predisposition, you know. But um, uh, the opposite effect, you know, if, if you come from a family where they're all artists or creatives and none of them have ever been employed, you know, that's what happened. That may be your, you know, it may be the case that your predisposition is to want security and you think, I don't want that, I want to go and work. Uh, but I think it's, you know, that the same as sport, you know, and strength and speed is it's a uh, it's nature and nurture. But I definitely think and I do think, you know, the, the psychological traits, uh, even though it may seem it and it's a bit of a polemic. But when I write about it in Game Fit, I do sort of I don't really mean to pathologize people who want to work. But, you know, I tend to rant. So it comes out as if I'm saying these are all like mindless zombies. I mean, I've mentioned zombies about a thousand times. So, I, you know, that's a little bit unfair of me. You know, all I'm saying is, is it's OK not to want to have it. And do you really want that? OK, and I'm not the first person to say I've been, it's, you know, it's not as if it's original. But I, I think Gangfic's original because of the way I put it. But the old concept of wanting to break out of, you know, entrapment and the rat race and, you know, you're not mad if that's not you know you don't want it um is is uh you know it's not new but it's really important especially for you lot because you're in your 20s now and you have the internet and opportunities which i absolutely didn't that i didn't have and that's got a that has a huge effect that a huge potential to profoundly influence your future and if it does it positively that influences and positively affects all the people around you and your loved ones and the relationships you have. Because I believe that if you improve your life, you're improving your the lives of people around you and the people that you love as well. Uh, so I think you do need to without being, you know, like uh, putting yourself at the centre of the universe. It's like you save your life. You save the lives of the people around you. So that's how we improve the planet. Yeah, so improve your life, you improve the planet. That's it. That's it. Well, the, the only reason that I would have ever had access to some of the things that you think about, Mark, are the internet, right? And as I read your stuff, what I really like about your stuff is, you know, you've, you've got skin in the game, and you live this lifestyle, and you just write about your own experiences. You're not trying to preach. You're just trying to write about your life, what's worked for you. And to rewind to the idea that not everyone's naturally predisposed for that sort of lifestyle, what I, what I kind of like about your stuff is you're just like, you don't know until you try it, until you plunge into survival mode and see if a more sort of alternating current is what's good for you, right? Like, the env your environment is, is pretty much everything, and I bet if we ran the simulation a thousand times, you would probably be doing something very, very similar to what you're doing now, 
in those 1,000 simulations because it's deep, deep in the nature. But I, I think about all the people, like even me in one of those simulations, right? I've got, I think, a lot of the same nature, but I wonder if my environment had been a little different if I would have been 50 years wage slave labor and that was my life just because I never tried, just because I didn't get a little bit of influence from something that either you or someone else wrote. It's a, it's a scary thought. So I think your stuff is valuable because it potentially empowers people that might have settled in for a long, easy, low-maintenance, secure lifestyle to take that risk and see if it's for them. Uh, I think that's very important. And I think that's one of the reasons I've written it is because, uh, first of all, when I first thought like that, I thought I was a bit, uh, you know, uh, not different, but, you know, everyone else was normal. And I was a bit, you know, insane, really. I'd like gone insane. Then uh, the world was going on around me and I was doing my own thing not earning any money, you know, not whatever, had nothing to show for it. And it's like, well, what's wrong with you? Because, you know, everyone's got their wage and they're going on holiday. They can go out on a Friday night, Saturday night, enjoy themselves, buy new things. And I couldn't because, you know, I was focused on something else. So after a while, you think, you know, that the, the problem is with oneself. And then you realize after a while of getting used to that, that there's other people like you. Okay, and then you meet other people like you. And the reason you meet other people like you is because you're not stuck at work nine to five. So even when you go to the gym, you go to the gym at 11 a.m. or two in the afternoon. And there's other people at the gym at two in the afternoon or 11 a.m. They're not employed people. They may be unemployed. They may be doormen. They may be business owners. They may be self-employed. They may be writers. They may be artists. And they're all at the gym. And you think, oh, there's a whole parallel sort of world out there that aren't employed traditionally but you don't know it when you're employed because that's your world and when you break out of it you discover there's millions of people actually like you you know and and also what i discovered with gangfit which was quite sort of profound that whether the unemployed young person had the same mindset as the 50 year old multi-millionaire entrepreneur which is about freedom and self-determination and not being told what to do. And I know because I've met people, they've invited me out to places. I've met like a few billionaires and they've read Gangfit. And I'm thinking, hold on a second. I was just some unemployed kid from single parent family, working class family. And what I'm saying and ranting about accords with a successful billionaire who runs a hedge fund. And you're thinking, wow, so this is a universal condition of not wanting to be trapped. It's a universal condition. As I say, a wolf is so, you know, you trap a wolf, it's trap its leg in a thing. It so doesn't want to be trapped. It would chew its leg off. So some young people, and it just, you know, it took me a while to sort of discover how much I hated that. So since then, it was like, no, no, be absolutely aggressive with the things you don't want to do even if you don't really know what you do want to do cut out the stuff you don't want to do and then it frees up your psyche and it frees up your time to investigate what else is there and once that door opens you find there's thousands there's millions there's hundreds of thousands there's millions of things you can do or that are out there that exist that when you were employed, you didn't even sort of really realize, you know, so that that's the thing. 
anyway so i'm sort of ranting too much because i get enthusiastic about it because you're firing us up I, I and I like in your book too. Like you said, you know, uh, you said it's not an original idea, right? Like freedom, no, of course being not. unemployed. Yeah. But I, I think what at least to me was original was that you, you put the focus on freedom and not about money. Like a lot of people ah, act like, yeah. oh, you got to start your own business so you can make the most money. But the, but at, <clears throat> in that way, you're kind of still a becoming a slave to like the consumerism. It's like, why do you have to make a lot of money? Right. Um, whereas for you, it's more about living a free, flexible, enjoyable life. Um, that's the sense I got. And I think that, I think that that at least is kind of unique. And I read a lot of the like personal development type books and I, so I, did I, I, I like yeah. that perspective. Yeah. I think, uh, people misinterpret when they say, when I talk about freedoms more important than money, they think, yeah, but you need money. I'm not saying that you don't. I absolutely, I know from my own life that you need money. Yeah, because I spent, you know, a long time with no money or hardly any money. Uh, that's why it sort of doesn't scare me because I'm quite used to it. Uh, but, you know, I've had money and I haven't had money. And, but I've been free all that time. And when I say freedom's more important than money, I'm not saying money's not important because today money's very important. But when you're free, you've got more time to pursue opportunities. You can take those safe to fail experiments. You can do the portfolio of small bets, as my friend on Twitter, Daniel Vassalo, speaks about. You can try things, you can experiment, you know. And um, so money's important. Uh, but the problem is money traps more people than it frees. OK, because they they've 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 uh, bought into the lie that you need a million dollars or two million dollars to be free. You don't. OK. And if you think like that, you are basically going to end up trapped because you probably never will have a million dollars and you're probably, you know, so you won't have fuck you money. So it goes back to what Nassim Taleb says. A fuck you attitude comes before the fuck you money. Because if you haven't got a fuck you attitude, even when you have fuck you money, you probably still won't have a fuck you attitude. And not only that, you probably, you know, 95% of all people won't become millionaires. So you're always going to be trapped. So you have to think what comes before the other. And freedom comes before money. It has to. Because otherwise, none of you are going to be free unless, I know, I know you know, you talk, uh, earlier on you were talking about a tech star, unless you make tons and tons of money. And that's fine. And then from an early age in your 20s, you can then do what you like. But let's face it, for most people, that's not the case. So if you're relying on a lot of money to make you free, you're more likely to stay trapped. So my point is, fuck your personal situation. Be free. Full stop. I think that's super interesting for me right now is because I've just been yeah, indoctrinated into like West Coast tech ideology. And so I left my job, but then there's this pressure to immediately be like working on a startup and, you know, starting a certain type of company. But implicit in that is like taking all this venture funding. Right. And uh, basically you go from having an employer, which is a big employer, to being like indebted to some venture capitalist and working 80 hours. And then you feel so much pressure to be a successful entrepreneur that you work on something you don't care about. Right. So you you think you're being free, but you're actually just, you have a new employer. You have a new, you're a slave to a new system. And uh, I'm finding myself, it's like, well, do you really want to go and like spend your whole life working on something you don't care about just to be able to say like, oh, I was a successful entrepreneur. It's like the word entrepreneur doesn't mean that you're free, right? Like if you're, if you still can't fuck off and do whatever you want. Um, 
And so it's interesting how like these you can like play games with yourself um, and you need to be very like conscious of what you actually want. Yeah, I think um, this is why I say, you know, that the future isn't yeah, we need business owners. We need entrepreneurs. We need self-employed freelance creators. But the future isn't any of those for a normal person. The future is you have to uh, make uh, my opinion is you make money from your interests. Or, ra or rather, you fit work around your life and not the other way around. Uh, and I think that's a... Uh, I've lost the camera. I think that's the, the big difference, is making money fit into your life rather than your life fit into money. And um, people say, yeah, but you've got to be realistic, you know. But the point is, is that because you're, a, you're living a certain lifestyle, then you can take experiments. You can, you know, you can opportunities come to you so it's not that as i said before like money's not important but it's like fit it into your lifestyle don't fit your lifestyle into work into work or money because you know you know what happens you do something say, oh this will only be for six months two years later you're still doing it oh this will only be for what have you and then you find yourself you go in a good wage and in three years you're still doing it and then you get an increase in wage and you think well i can't leave this job now because i can't leave what i'm doing because i'm earning you know i know $20,000 a month or something you think I can't possibly leave that so you end up trapped and it's very insidious and it's very very powerful it's extremely powerful how it traps you I'm not saying it's conspiracy but it does trap you because the more you're in that system in a way the less you develop the ability to rely on yourself for your own life because you're relying on some external circumstance for your own life uh, so I think and then eventually you don't even really know the 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 strengths that you have because you're just reliant on this external source of, you know, validity, external source of money, external source of, you know, it's, it's literally feeding you. Um, so I think you should as much as possible revolve money around your preferred lifestyle. And I think now you can do that. It may have been far more difficult when I was a, you know, when I was a kid, but now you can do that because all those one developed, they developed email apps, you know, all sorts of things that you can basically use at zero cost. You can have a website cost you $20 a month. You know, you can, it's like the long tail that Chris Anderson wrote. You can participate in the long tail and it costs you pennies. So why not do that? You know, and you know, if you suffer a bit, you don't have enough money. So fucking what? You know, so what? You know, we were hunter gatherers. You know, we we had disease and we had to fight mammoths, and you know, we lived out in the world under the stars. And you're you haven't got a little bit of money. Stop stop complaining. You know, come on, deal with it. You know, people really are starving in the world. You know, and so so what? If you like, you you don't expect no problems in life. And if you're going to have problems in life, have problems in life because you've decided this is what you want to do not problems that other people have given you you know so it's like just fit make money from your interests that's for me is the most important thing then it's not work anymore you know so the uh the so i've got i've got two two additions the scariest part about um my prior employment situation was not observing myself in it uh addicted to the wages what was the scariest part was looking at the 60 and the 65 year olds who had done it for 40 years. And you look at the things they had, right, which are staggering wealth, staggering homes, 
wives, kids, and picket fences, right? And I just had the thought, I don't want any of that next 40 years. I saw my life flash before me in the blink of an eye. I didn't want any of that. And then to think about how you make money from your interests. You leave that world, you go to survival, and you lean into your interests. A lot of people are like, well, it's not practical. It's not reasonable. And we've mentioned this, right? But if you leave your job like I did about a year ago, I was blown away by the amount of stuff I got done by focusing purely and doggedly on what I was interested in. I went from business to business to business. I went off to Turkey. I did personal training there. I came back. I made plenty of dough doing personal training, started a fund, invested in real estate. You just get stuff done. When you're forced to survive, you lean into the stuff that matters. And that sort of energy, leaning into your interests, that focus and that passion, sort of by definition, makes you the best at those things. And ultimately, if you're the best at a thing, someone's going to pay you for that thing, right? So interests and passions first. And if you do it right, then money should, in theory, come. And then it's practice. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, uh, going back to what you said when you started, uh, I think some young people think that they won't become like those older people. But if you stay in that job, you will become like those older people. You absolutely will, because that's what will happen to you. Uh, and another thing is you were talking about they had staggering wealth and how nice houses and, you know, the, the archetypal picket fence around there, whatever, and perhaps in a private gated estate. Unfortunately, many people work for all their lives and they never achieve that as well. So that's like a double, like whatever. So uh, they didn't they never achieved the staggering wealth. So that's like, well, Christ, you're not even well off and you've worked for right. 50 years. Right. So if you're going to work for 50 years, at least you should end up well off. But I've said before, don't judge a person by how much money they have. Judge a person by how free they are and how they can talk about what they like. They can air their opinions. They can say what they like. They can think what they like. They can do what they like. Uh, so don't judge someone purely by their wealth. Judge them by how free they are and what they can say. Uh, yeah, because, you know, you could be a multimillionaire and not be free. Well, Exactly. I mean, ultimately, we can all be cancelled. Yeah, ultimately, someone can cancel us or society. Even if you live in, uh, you know, I said that, you know, compulsory purchase. Even if you've got a, a homestead and you're not on some, the government can come along, they can take it. Okay, so ultimately, you can only do so much. But you want to make yourself as anti-fragile and as robust as possible against this. And the first thing is not to be reliant on someone to feed you, clothe you and house you. Okay. Uh, and you as wanna, I said, you want to use, yeah. No, no, you go ahead. You Sorry. go ahead. You weren't finished. No. And as I said, you know, that, um, um, don't judge someone by the amount of money they've got, because that's a bad indicator of how free they are. It really is. As you say, someone can work and be employed and they've got no freedom whatsoever, but it doesn't mean being like Chris McCandless. So Chris McCandless is a guy, you know, the well-known guy that made the, the film about him where he ends up like he had, he had mushroom. He went across, was it Canada? Rockies, he left home. There's a film made about him. I forget the name of the film. And he ended up dying in that bus somewhere, you know, in that coach somewhere in Midwest or, or Canada or somewhere. Uh, you don't have to do that these days. You can leave the grid, but not die in the middle of the wilderness somewhere. You can just take the parts of the grid you want and just completely disregard the rest of it and you now can do that i think that 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 uh that trope sort of the like the glorification of the ted kaczynski off the grid is sort of ridiculous but to your point it's it's no longer necessary right like you can you can achieve so much freedom and only use the system 
for the benefits it gives you and detach from all of the rest of it, right? Like you have That's your internet, you have your Wi-Fi. You just, just you, you want to, you want to run, you want to be running orthogonal to the rat race, but there's system stuff here that you can still exploit to your benefit. But as soon as there's something that you're exploiting that has also a cost, that's the stuff that I think via negativa needs to be carved out. Yes. Yeah. And this is why to be off the grid, you don't need to be out of the grid. You can be in the city. You can be in the grid, but off the grid at the same time. So that's what I say about being a hunter gatherer. You know, you can have the opportunities that arise and still be in the city. Uh, it's nice to be in a city and it's nice to be in a country. So being a foot in both, you know, but being you don't you don't physically necessarily need to move out of the grid. Just choose the parts of the grid you want, because at the end of the day, the grid should be serving your benefit, not someone else's. But you're right. If you start being reliant on something and there's negative sides to it, you, you know, you cut it out. If you're reliant on, I don't know, pizzas, you're eating pizza every day, you like it. The thing is, the things that harm you the most are the things you really like, you know, because the things you don't like, you're going to stop. The things you harm your life are the things that feel good. So, you know, you have to realize that there may be certain things you like that are harming you. So you cut them out. So that's the negative approach. But that's, you know, that's a whole other area we could talk about for ages, really. Uh, but ultimately, create the life you want. And you have the, everybody, whether they realize it or not has the ability now to be able to do that or at least have the tools to be able to create their own life i know it's like a cliche oh yeah but all you need is an internet connection no you absolutely do okay and they're not telling you at school because school is like um you know it's like a conditioning system you go to school you get you go wherever and the teachers wouldn't know would they because the teacher's a teacher in a state school and that's what they've done they've gone to university they become a teacher so what do they know about that parallel universe they basically know nothing about it and they're teaching kids the same you know they're sort of obliteration of their identity becoming just a sort of clone he says without trying to denigrate normal people <laughs> and um you know so all, all of this it's all there for you it's all there for you whether you realize it or not it's all there i think I, uh, I love, a uh, concept oh god sam I, I love this one uh this one it's from the intro of gang fit one it says people are constantly telling you what you should do, how to behave and how to live your life. But before you follow the herd, look at the individuals who are telling you this. What do they look like? Do you want to be like them? And when I read that, it like gave me chills because I, I say that myself so much, you know, it's like, but it's hard when you've been conditioned, which I don't think is an exaggeration. You've been conditioned to, okay, go to school, get good grades. So you get into a good university get good grades there and get an internship. So you get a good job and network and this and that. And like, when you start questioning that you do start to feel insane. Um, because you start thinking, well, if I pay my dues here for 20 years, I could be like my boss and make, you know, half a mil a year or whatever. But when you like, at least for me, when I look deep down and I go, do I really want to be like him? Like, like, how does, what does his life look like? Do I really, really want to be like him? And, and the answer is no. Um, but it's hard, like even, even for us, I mean, we're all 26, 27 and it, I almost feel like I have to like remind myself of that, like uncondition myself over and over again, because. Yeah, you do need to, you do need to, because it's a default setting. So you constantly, you need a force field. You need to develop this force field against all the bullshit that's being whatever. I'm not even saying it's conspiracy theory, this bullshit. It's just how the system is. So it's in is that, that system is in, envelops every young person. 
you know, unless you come from some weird family that doesn't think like that at all, if you're born into the normal situation, that's a default. It's just how it is. It's like part of, you know, it's in their DNA and it's going to be injected into your DNA. So you do need constant. You absolutely do need constant affirmation. What you're doing is the right thing. And you have to develop this force field against all of that. You absolutely do, because otherwise you'll just be swallowed up and you'll just carry along with it. You'll just go along with it. And so you do. You do need to read things. You know, I mean, uh, I forget who mentioned you read. I think it was you, Sam. You talk about books you read about self-improvement books. I went through all of that in the 20s and early 30s. I just read about every self-improvement book uh, and the old ones from Clement Stone and Vincent Norman Vincent Peale and all the old ones, you know, as well as well as up to date ones and what have you. And also books about your erroneous zones. You know, what's wrong with you? You know, what should what you know, what's what's keeping you back? What's do whatever. Uh, and as I say, I came from a normal single parent working class family. So it was inculcated in me that this is what you do. You have a job. Life's hard. Uh, resources are scarce. And just be happy with what you've got. And that's basically a job and a little house, 2.4 children and a wife. OK. And the thing is, as I've grown older, I've never forgotten that. Whereas as people get older, they, they I can't see how an, elder, an older person can forget what it was like when they were young. OK. It's almost like they become a different person. Yeah, you get wiser, you learn things. But I, I, to me, what I've thought about in my 20s is just as vivid now as it was when uh you know as it, as it was then so that's why i wrote gang fit because it's like it's in fact it's probably worse because i can see it so much how people are just forced into certain boxes that i just want to rant about it but you do like going back to what you said you do need to constantly one constantly question yourself is why am i doing this you know and then decide yes i'm doing this for this reason that's why I'm doing it for the greater good for your own sanity. And this is why I said, I think I've said it in Game Fit, that once or twice a year, I purposely commute during the rush hour, just to affirm that what I did was the right thing. And every time I go in the rush hour, I think absolutely fucking I did the right thing. This is not what I want. And so there were times in my life I thought, Mark, you know, what the fuck, you're such a loser. And then you think, OK, I'm going to travel in rush hour the next day and I'm in rush hour, you know, eight o'clock or 7.45 a.m. or whatever it is. And I go in rush hour and I thought, fucking hell, you absolutely made the right decision. So, yes, you absolutely. I don't do it so much now because I don't need to. But, in the, you know, when you're a bit more fragile or you're not really sure or you don't know other people who are doing that sort of thing, you need to put yourself in a position and then you think, ah, this is the reason I didn't do that. And for me, that was almost the symbolic thing was traveling in a rush hour on a London train. And that was it. And I thought, you know, that's what. And the other thing, as you know, is about every few months walking in the cemetery, that that's where you're going to end up. So don't fucking waste time. You've got to go towards what you want from life. You may not even completely know what you want from life, but you, you sort of do know what you don't want. So those are the two things, traveling rush hour, walk in the cemetery and that that clears things in your mind. So there you are. For me, it might be put on a tie. <laughs> put on a tie, even that. Put on a tie. That's what shoes. it might be for I me. mean, I live in trainers. But that is a form of entrapment. It's a form of forcing you into a, you know, a tie. I mean, 
uh, Nassim Taleb talks about, you know, a tie and everything. But being able to discard your tie, it's like your last day at school, you know, when you could rip off your school uniform and then people write things on your shirt and you can rip up your tie and you never have to wear it again. You know, it's like freedom. But when I didn't need a suit, it was like, wow, this is this is great. I don't have to wear a suit ever again, except for, you know, hatches, matches and the, someone's wedding, you know, funerals and what. And that's it. And then it's nice wearing a suit. OK, but if you're forced to do the same thing every day, even if it's nice, you get pissed off with it. So, yeah, absolutely right. You've got your own thing, which for you is the symbolic or the metric of that is what I don't want from life. It may be wearing a tie, you know, not wearing a tie or not wanting to travel and rush out or moving out of city or whatever it is. And that's that single thing which defines what you don't want from life. And that's really important. Uh, and it's not about getting rid of something. It's about escaping from something. I know it sounds like whatever we're trying to escape an entrapment. But yeah, we're all trapped. We're all trapped. So, you know, it's just how it is. And so whatever. And then when you feel freer, your relationships with other people are improved. They absolutely are. That's that train going. It's like the Chattanooga Choo Choo. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I'm uh, the uh this the suit one i actually think is funny you know we we're talking about earlier using the grid only to your own ends and as soon as it's trapping you detaching from those parts the suit one i actually so i used to wear a suit every day uh, and i didn't hate it um, but the idea of putting on a suit now is absolutely preposterous but the suit as a uniform lets you get away with a lot of things oh yeah oh, yeah a yeah. lot of things you, you, th you throw on a suit people are like oh there's no way that guy's up to anything a a any yeah. uh any tomfoolery you know you want to you want to yeah. you want to walk through it through a through a gated area pop on an orange yeah. vest you want to see yeah. him as more official than you are pop on a suit yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's um, right it gives you the validity yeah one more uh, one more thought uh on something that you guys were talking about is the idea that a lot of a lot of older people they can't remember anything about their wow how they, literally, they literally can't they can't access the memories and a theory of mine that I have on this is when routine sets in, when you're doing the same thing every day, time moves very, very quickly because your brain doesn't have these little hinge points of novelty to, to grab onto, to, to move the memory from short term to long term. And so if you don't have a lot of novelty in your life, time just rips by and you can't remember anything. But if you're patently unemployable and you're doing what you want to do every morning, going with the flow, leaning into randomness, I think a lot of newer stuff happens and you have like this sort of like emotional acceleration. All these memories have these very distinct markers. And so you can remember all this awesome shit you did because there's so much of it and it's so different. Whereas if you're in a nine to five for 40 years, there's nothing to differentiate one day to the next, one month to the next, one year to the next, one decade to the next. And so I think that that might be part of that, uh, that really very scary and insidious effect. Uh, I've got to say this quickly. You started off that statement uh, by saying when routine sets in. Immediately, I thought of Joy Division and Love Will Tear Us Apart when the first line is when routine sets in and ambitions are low and then he starts singing, it's whatever. So, sorry, that was just a whatever. So, yeah, you're right. Uh, routine sets in and ambitions are low and it literally te tears you apart. You know, it's like, and so, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, boredom and the flat life is just one step away from the grave. You know, it's like, as I said, you know, the, 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 uh, the life is variation. 
you know, it's extremes, it's doing things, you know, it's a bit like the old French film where you fall in love at 2am in the morning, you go out and you're like, I don't know, you're by the Seine and you're smoking Gitane and there's your woman there and, you know, all these wonderful things that happen to you. But as you get old, your life becomes flatter and flatter and flatter and flatter. There's a natural thing to that, I understand, you know, but it's, it's, uh, you're, it's, you're, it's you're becoming flatter as your life is becoming flatter. So it's like a self-reinforcing loop of like nothingness and boredom and ennui and you know and the awaiting to retirement and then you can like dig up you know take more you know more care of your herbaceous border in your garden and stuff like that it's so fucking boring isn't it and uh, it's like death it's what i say about bungalow land it's basically death you know living in a perfect environment but nothing's happening you know a perfect environment a bit like norway it's perfect but nothing's going on you know something like that so it's like that's what your life your life has become like scandinavia you know like it's perfect but nothing's happening you know, <laughs> and, you know so, all, all, all the all, all those surveys about the scandinavians <laughs> being the happiest it always blows me away like are they actually the happiest or are they convincing themselves that they are the happiest on the survey <laughs> They're just convinced they're the happiest because all these Scandinavians <laughs> and Northern Europeans, they're smug because they've got all the, I mean, I'm half Swiss and Switzerland's like that. You know, they reckon they've got the best society on earth and they're great and everywhere else is a problem, but Switzerland's wonderful. Finland, Nor Norway and places like that, they've got that same sort of uh, mentality that they've got the most wonderful. And it's great. You know, they are lands of perfection, but no one wants to grow up in a land of perfection because underneath that protection, perfection is order and control so you want to go to a messy country like the us where you've got opportunity but with that opportunity comes poverty degradation shit areas and things like that but i'd much rather be young in that sort of environment than young i know it's like whatever you know it's, it's not as you get older you want to be surrounded by nice things i understand that i want to be look out open my front door and see a nice perfect environment but i understand that the flip side of that perfect environment is uniformity and you fitting into a, a box okay so if you want to develop your life develop your life in a place like the us and then when you've made a load of money you know go somewhere nice and live in a land of perfection but you're right it's um you need the ups and downs you need things happening to yourself and some of those things are going to be bad things you know it can't all be positive but that's what creates the lines in your face. Yeah, that's what makes you who you are. And then you realise your own dark sides, your your good sides, your strong sides, the sides which you can't do anything about, you know, because they're just part of you, good or bad. Uh, and that what's make, makes you a person. So, uh, yeah, you've got to have a life a bit like a French film, you know, where things are happening, where there's tragedy, where there's beauty, where there's art, where there's loss, where there's wonderfulness. Much better than just, can you imagine just going to an office every day for nine, for 40 years, the same space? That's a killer. That's a killer. People also, you know, we, we wonder as if it's some big question why so many people are depressed, right? And it's like, well, there's a lot of reasons for that. But probably not all that great practice is going and sitting in a dark room, seated in a suit nine to five five days a week let's start there yeah yeah i mean that's sort of like a, a metaphor and i know a lot of people aren't you know actually necessarily uh in the same place for every you know for 40 years 50 years but to me for 40 or 50 years they basically have to go out their front door at a certain time in the morning 
turn left, go to the station or get in their car or go off to work. They've got no self-determination except at the weekend, you know, but your you know, weekend uh, is still and infected. And a lot, a lot of people would say, right, with the new economy where there's no commute, there's no office, people are like, well, now being employed has a whole new level of freedom around it, right? Because I can be at home, I can do what I want, wear what I want. But I think that's sort of uh, reductive, right? Because you still can't do what you want. There's still someone, uh, some authority, tendrils in your head telling, me, telling you what you should. You have a rigid calendar every day, right? I think it's sort of a, it's like this little crumb that the average employer's been given that might yeah. keep them in the system for longer. But ultimately, you're still beholden to someone else's calendar and someone else's checkbook, which is still killer. Yeah, it's still give, it's given an slave some sweets and toys and some credits, basically. So as I said, it's basically just a longer leash. It may be better than being in the office. In fact, it doesn't suit everyone working from home. Some people want to go back to the office because if they're living on home on their own, they don't see anyone from you know one day to the other. But it's basically just a longer leash. So I don't believe this working from home stuff is is some form of freedom. I just think it's a, like a little toy you've been given, but you're still a slave. You know, it may, it, may, it may make your life better. I mean, I know someone who moved out of New York and moved upstate New York and they got a bigger place for them and that's their what, kids because so they didn't need to go in. That's this. That's what's oh, okay. here as well. Look, well, it looks nice. <laughs> I can see you, you've got the backdrop of trees and, and uh, is, that can't be a river. That's a railway line, isn't it? I don't know what the whatever's behind you. That's, but yeah, that's so it looks the, great. That's the, yeah. that's, the Hudson, that's the Hudson River, Guru. It's our Thames. Oh, cool, man. Great. That's your River Thames. Great. It's... Uh, yeah, didn't you steal our Tower of London? I think you, you, you stole our Tower of London or something. Oh, oh yeah? yeah? Yeah, I think you're right. I may be wrong. Whatever. I mean, we, we, um, we, we, stole, we stole a lot from our, uh, from our British overlords in the, in the 1700s. Well, of course, you know, the Great Charter, the Magna, the Magna Carta, you know, is part of your sort of uh, constitution. I mean, it's based on the Magna Carta, you know, or, or what. But, uh, and whatever. But it's... it's um, so, yeah, working from home is just a longer leash, man. It's just like giving candy to people who are, who are trapped. I think I, I do want to, I think there's a counterpoint here where you're never actually free. Like you always are beholden not. to someone. My dad is self-employed, but he has customers. He's not just going to tell his customers to fuck off. TJ, if you start a fund, you're going to have investors. You're not just be like, oh, I'm self-sovereign individual. I can do whatever I want. You always are going to need to, you know, get resources from the environment the thing you can do, and this ties into fasting and via negativa, you can bring your level of consumption down as close to zero such that you can tell people to fuck off for like a long period of time. Because if you don't need a lot of things, then you're not, you can go long periods of time without getting anything for the environment. So if you're like, if you're working and you have a bad customer, you'd be like, I'm just not going to work for you because I don't need, I don't need money right now. Um, and I think the, the greatest way to become self-sovereign is to basically not want anything. Because if you could not want anything, you know, then you would, you could literally go off grid for as long as you want. Um, and I think that's the main thing about being independent is somehow giving up a lot of desire. And I think uh, it also goes with the idea of, is it Nihil Petiti, uh, which is, you know, I've lost nothing. Even if you have lost something, just treat it as nothing. Okay, you do get used to that. Uh, so it's yeah, it's not wanting so much. People confuse that as well. They say, "Oh yeah, it's like minimize, you know, it's like minimal living that you don't need a car, you don't need this, you don't need that." No, it's that you know you can live without those things. You're not dependent on the things around you, and that's it. It's nice to have more. It's nice to be able to. That's absolutely fine. 
but you're not dependent on those and you won't let those control your life what you're doing it doesn't mean absolving you know uh, uh, taking yourself from modern society and all the wonderful things it can give you and not traveling and not doing this and not having a nice or whatever it is but it means you're not reliant on those things so yeah uh, absolutely because I, I i wrote that you know you don't need a million dollars to be a millionaire you only need 500 dollars a week if, if someone put 500 dollars a week in your pocket for free you're free for the rest of your life so how are you going to make 500 dollars a week you don't need to make a million dollars a week you need to make 500 dollars a week but everyone's been told they need to be a millionaire before they're free you don't you may only be a few hundred dollars a week you need to be free okay and the way you do it is not spending eight hundred dollars a week on shit that you don't need for start so as you say you know only figure out the things you do need and the things that you don't uh and automatically you've got much more chance of being free if you don't need those things you know if you haven't got hp agreements if you haven't got direct debits if you haven't bought stuff you can't afford you know that you have to pay off for the next two years so you can live with a lot less okay but being free is an absolutely sensational thing but you're, you're right you, no one's 100 percent free because we all rely on certain things no one is 100 percent free uh absolute freedom i don't even know what that is i mean you could be a hobo i suppose and i don't know if they still have hobos in the us do they where they like go on trains and they travel no. across states and there's there's stuff so like many that. there's so many i think we've I, got I more know, than you yeah i mean i know that there's that film out isn't it is it nomad uh, the woman who lives in a car goes across and you've got like how many 150,000 people who live in cars and vans and they travel across and they've got their own communities but even then you can go onto the internet you get a little following and people can send you money so you can live like a nomad and you don't have to live like a nomad did 50 years ago because you've got the power of the grid which you can utilize you know so uh, and if li living as a living as a nomad in one of those trains you probably see more states than most of us will ever see in our lives it's a very romantic sort of idea, isn't it, being a traveller? But I think it's easier than ever now because you can literally, you know, as I say, you can get people following you. you I know it's not all about the internet, but I think it's easier than ever to live like that if you want to live like that because there's so many resources around you now. And you can also connect to other nomads who, and you can meet up and they can tell you how to do things and this and that and give you information. Whereas 50 years ago, you couldn't do that. You know, you might meet people on the road, but now you can meet nomads all over the world, you know, online and you have your own community. So you, you still feel part of a community. You're part of a nomad community. I, I don't know how many there are. are there 100, I heard there are like 150,000 people in the US who are like living out of cars and traveling around and, and doing stuff like I mean, permanently. I, 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 I feel like country. during during COVID too, their, their ranks swelled. I mean, a lot of people had a lot of time to think about what they really wanted in life during COVID. And they were working from home and they, they, they went out into the country, they saw green, they saw a tree and they're like, hmm, maybe this is pretty cool. Maybe I ought to, you know, be a little bit minimalistic, buy a van, go travel around, meet other like-minded people. And I feel like there are a bunch of them around. And in a lot of ways, you know, I, I feel a little bit arrogant saying this, but I think COVID gave people a lot of time outside of the routine to actually think. And when you actually think, you can think to, to Chris's point about which of my needs are actually wants and what do I actually desire from my life. And I mean, that, that's what I did. I mean, I was caught up in the rat race. Like, it was just the same thing every day. The checks were coming in. I got drunk on the weekends because I thought it's what I deserved, right? And then when you have time to think, I was like, no, 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 no. This is all wrong. Something's off here. And my guess is a lot of people had 
that sort of rumination time uh, in the vacuum that was, you know, pandemic and remote work. I think I think actually a lot of people in the mid 20s start thinking like that. You know, you might not in your early 20s think like that, but when you get to 25, 26, you work for a while, you may have 10 years of work behind you or whatever in university. And then you start thinking because you're coming towards your 30s and 30s is quite serious because, you know, you're in a serious part of your life. You're, you're not in your early 20s anymore. Two or three years time, you're going to be 30. So you're not in your 20s anymore. You can't mess around. This is serious business, you know. And have you got children? Have you got a partner? All these sort of things. So you start thinking about things. Um, and what lockdown did, uh, I wrote about this in a PDF about attractor landscapes and about your basin of attraction. What lockdown did, it knocked a lot of people out. This external situation knocked a lot of people out of their normal routine and their normal lifestyle. And it's like the research they did. I don't know if I've read about it. I can't find a paper where they got so many people to live in a cave for like 30 days. They didn't tell them anything. They like took them out of their lifestyle. They got them to live in a cave. They didn't say anything. And when some of the people, when they all came out, half of them, when they came out, changed their lives because they had time to think. They weren't in their normal environment. So lockdown has locked, has knocked millions of people out of their normal environment. Some of them want to get back to their normal environment and they're like, you know, and others have thought, shit, this is a different world I'm living in now. And it's, it's like an epiphany has been forced on them, you know, and lockdown is the best thing that could ever have happened to them. It's the worst thing for some people and it's the best thing for other people. And yet it's the same event. And it's the worst thing for some people, the best thing for others. But for it's what it's done, it's just knocked people out of their normal routine. Yeah, sort I think of a, a, uh, sort of a go, go ahead, Chris. Uh, I was going to say, I think a interesting kind of concept that I think you embody is a, uh, I came across as an information gatherer. So kind of how the internet takes us back to this hunter gatherer type paradigm. But instead of like hunting for food, you're kind of, you know, cultivating your interests off grid, finding out about yourself. And then you come in, plug back into the grid throw things out into the internet and then you, you know, you sign off, go back to living your life and you can kind of get through doing this. And like, I see you, you know, you go and disconnect, learn more about fitness, come back, give people little tidbits of knowledge, unplug for long periods of time. And I think that is like a pattern of, uh, like that's in a pattern of employment in the new economy. Um, that's really interesting. It's like you, you just live your life and then you just, kind of throw things into the internet and it and it works out i think um that is the most powerful thing about the new economy is that you can now live as a hunter gatherer okay literally like catching monkeys gathering some plants and tubers but it's like a metaphor you know but you literally could do that now uh because you've got all these things around your environment which can improve your life which you come across serendipitously which happen, which bubble up, which connections that you make uh, in your environment and you're in your tribe and your tribe is your family, your loved ones, the people you, you know, that sort of thing. And you can all get together and move forwards through this environment. And that's a hunter gatherer environment. It's not the agricultural environment. It's a hunter gatherer environment. And I, I do think that's a, we want security, but a lot of people, but we, I think we also need to live under the stars and we need to roam and we need to, and I think now the new economy and the internet allows you to do that. You don't need to be in the same place. I mean, I know loads of, I don't like the expression, but they're called digital nomads. 
you know, where they can earn money online and they can go and live in Malaysia for a year or India or wherever they are because it's a lot cheaper, you know. So they may only be getting $1,500 a month or $2,000 a month and they can go and live like a king in, the, you know, in the foot in Kashmir, you know, for as long as they like, as long as the visa lasts for. You know, I, I went over to Kashmir and it's literally like, well, for a pound a day I could live like or whatever you. you know you can employ people for a few quid a day you know they could cook all your food so that's a digital nomad but it's literally now become a hunter-gatherer and i think that is such a powerful thing because i think it's sort of like hardwired into a lot of people you know and they're not teaching it at school they're not teaching it at school even though they're teaching computers and internet they're not teaching how you can transform your life with all of that and i think it's really powerful and i think if you feel trapped and you feel you have to realize that the resources you have now can completely transform your life, literally transform your life. And when you step into it and you earn a little bit of money from it, it's literally like a bomb goes off in your head that there's a completely different life that you can live. And the people who are teaching you didn't tell you about it. I, I don't th I don't I, I don't think, think they're like I an agricultural think... education. They're teaching you how to t tend to the farm. Well, the, the, the teachers, they, they don't like the teachers aren't going to teach you how to be um, someone who leans into the volatility of the internet and uses it to magnify your interest into an income stream because they don't know. They're not our generation. Like we we're talking about the hunter gatherers earlier. It's interesting how we can now form tribes across borders, right? Like w we are all in some way part of some tribe that identifies itself in some way. And we were found through this medium, right? And so to the extent that you want to learn about how you can make li you can live your life and make money independently, this is how you learn. It's like we learn from people who have done it like you successfully. The teachers in schools, you know, I try not to be too cynical. I don't think they know. They're teaching no, they what worked really. in an industrial or an agricultural yeah, age, right? Like in the new age, era... You, you, our, our tribes, like my tribe is right here. It's like this barbell effect, right? Like my tribe is right here. Like my family's inside trying to help me get this house together so I can rent it and have a, have an income stream this summer. But I'm also like, you guys are my tribe too, right? We have similar ideas, similar philosophies. And we're talking, you know, through this medium, it, it's, it's, there's a virtual and spatial tribe. And that's kind of where, that's where you learn about these types of things. My, my, my teachers in school, they, don't, they would have no idea what the fuck we're talking about. Right? No. I mean, it's, it's the hunter-gatherer effect on steroids, basically, because you're a hunter-gatherer, but you've got global connections, which you can switch off if you want. You can switch those off. So you have the option to switch off whatever part of the grid you don't want for as long as you like. Okay, but you're a hunter-gatherer in your location, in your locale, but you've got the network effect, and you've got the connections, and you've got your main node, and you've got all these other little nodes if you want to be connected to those. So we're a little node at the moment have come together from across the US and then the other side of the Atlantic. So we're a little node. And then that will probably stay there. There's that there now. That's imprinted, that little node. And then I've got my main node, which is me and my family and, my, you know, my close friends or what have you. And there's all these other little nodes coming off. But it's almost like they're a hunter-gatherer, but with this, like, huge network, which is just... I, it's just incredible and that's the new economy you know it's got so many opportunities and uh, it sounds you know people say oh yeah but it's like but it doesn't so hunter-gatherer is lindy okay so it, it's managed it, you can now live a lindy lifestyle on steroids it's just insane 
you've got payment systems which are free you've got your, your account you've got all sorts of things which are free and you can connect to people if you want to i can shut it off tomorrow so you're not you know you you're not reliant you know you know you can't you can and you can take it anywhere so you could be a hunter gatherer anywhere you know and take your tribe with you and so this is the new economy now this is about and you don't have to describe yourself as i don't know what you fellows would describe yourself as, but i don't describe myself as anyone because it's fucking indescribable i can't describe myself entrepreneur business owner i'm none of those things i'm just me so when you go to a party oh what do you do i don't know what the fuck i do what do you do you know like you're an accountant you're this you're that who cares I, I always who thought cares it was, no I always one thought cares. It was weird how when you like people ask you that they say what do you do and they mean what's your employment like like who are you employed by is basically what they mean yeah. and it's like you can do so much more than that do you know what i mean like yeah what like my said, job is a very small part of what i do it's not and i don't even you know it's not even what's important to me honestly and so when somebody yes. asks you what do you do i always thought that was weird they say that in the uk too i guess huh i always thought it was an american of course thing. <laughs> you know it's a sign of employed people employed yeah. people ask questions like that you know what do you do i mean now it's easy for me because if i just want to shut someone up you know or just whatever it's like oh i'm a writer of course i'm not a writer i write but i'm not a writer okay and i wouldn't class myself as a writer i've just written stuff but I don't class myself as a writer. You know, what do you do? I could say, well, I'm interested in health and fitness. You know, uh, what do you do? I, and sometimes I say, I don't do anything. What do you mean you don't do anything? I'm unemployed. What do you mean you're unemployed? It's like, whatever. But for, you know, 15 years, it was very difficult to, for me to say to someone at a party, what do you do? I say, oh, nothing. Or what do you mean you do nothing? Oh, you're unemployed. Oh, I pay my taxes for you because you're unemployed. So I'm really happy now because I say now become unemployable. So I'm getting back to all those people who used to have a go at me to say, oh, you're unemployed as if you're a loser. Okay, I can say, no, you're a loser. Become unemployable. <laughs> but uh, you know, unemployable means that you've got skills that means you can feed yourself and that you're not going to take orders from people. That's being unemployable. unemployable. I think uh, that's uh, the, isn't that the, um, the title of this podcast? becoming unemployable or something i'm not sure i, I don't i don't know how, what you caught in my, my question but basically i was saying that you know i read uh, gang fit part one and it didn't really have anything about your life necessarily so i would just be curious you know once you realized that you didn't want to work at um at the bank what happened in the coming years like how did you go from being uh you know employed to unemployed Um, I think I don't really speak about that too much because it's messy. You know, I could say, oh, I did this and this happened. I had a side hustle. You know, I started this and that. I did start lots of things and I tried lots of things. Some things succeeded. Some things didn't. I did work part time. I worked. A, I was a market trader and not markets in stock market, literally a market trader in Portobello Road. Uh, if you've ever seen the film Notting Hill Gate, Notting Hill with whoever whatever so i worked as a market trader i did some part-time jobs i borrowed a shit ton of money you know i i did sign on for a while i did all sorts of things anything to escape employment so and i did that you know so i did a lot of sort of you know i bought a few things sold a few things i bought a few properties sold a few properties uh just everything really so it's very messy if i wrote about it uh i think if i wrote about it it wouldn't be a straight it's not a linear you know, it's very interesting. People say, oh, they left that, then they started up a startup, or they did this, and then that worked, or they bought property, and they earned a bit of money. For me, it was very messy for 12 years or so. Um, 
and then the internet was invented you know and then other things started to happen and then i as i say a few properties worked out and i had more money in my pocket and other things happened and uh so it's very difficult to say that specifically this is what i'm this is why i'm saying that it can be dangerous to tell people just to leave their job okay because you may suffer okay you may suffer if you haven't got some sort of cushion okay uh so you I don't think you have to suffer so much now because there are many things you can put in place and there's many more opportunities to connect with people and to do things and to publish a book or to show your art to people or things resources which are free uh but in the, like the 80s you know i basically quit work when my uh when my daughter was born i sort of quit work before but i really quit work when my daughter was born so that was like in the 80s and I did the opposite of like, get a job, make sure you've got income coming in because you've got, you've got to be responsible. My idea was, well, I wanted to see my daughter grow up. So for me, that was like really, really important. So I thought I can't work, just can't work. Because I saw what the fathers were doing, what the mothers were doing. The mothers were taking their kids to school and the fathers were like trapped at work. And I thought, I don't want that. Um, but it was messy. But that's a whole different podcast about what I did because it's very difficult to say. I mean, yeah, I did have I bought and sold a few properties. It's kind of reassuring. Uh, I did that a bit you're of part time messy. work, so I I can't bullshit people and say it was a it was a you know a lot of people are saying oh I did a side hustle and I got more income and then that one. I think a lot of people can't start up a side hustle when they're at work because work absorbs their time and it takes it takes their time and they never they never really mo. It's I I almost chose like the death ground strategy. You know, it's like literally just work and see what I have, sink or swim. And I think on a few occasions I've nearly sunk, you know, so I don't want to glamorize, you know, and I don't want to be one of these internet gurus who say, I'll oh, start a side hustle, start earning money. You can do that, but you may not be able to do that. And if you can't do that when you're at work, what are you going to do about it? My idea is the final thing you can do about it is the death ground strategy. Because if your little scheme doesn't work, which you've tried for 18 months while you're working on the side, if that doesn't work, you're still at work. And if the next scheme doesn't work, you're still at work. But what the death ground strategy does, it really puts fire under your feet. It really means I'm not me going think to about eat doing it. if I don't. Yeah, I, I'm really not going to eat if I don't do something. And you may not eat. I've said it in Ganfit. What happens if you haven't got any money to eat for two weeks? for two weeks you absolutely learn about yourself you i've had to do that with the job your... <laughs> sorry <laughs> i've had to do well, i've yes, had to do a well, three-day fast uh involuntarily well, with a job so um, well that's it's no so problem without, well a do it without a job <laughs> how many poor working people are there how many poor there are loads of poor working people so why work if you're still fucking poor it's like piss take you've been slapped on both cheeks you know so you might as well not work and be poor at least you've got free time you know, and then you, you're unemployed in summertime in some of your mates, so you could just create chaos in the city or something, or enjoy yourself, you know, in summer, or do the beer mile challenge or something. And at least you're not at work, cooped up at work. But if you're poor and haven't got enough money and you're employed, what's the point of being employed? Oh, yes, <laughs> I've got a few years, I'll build up, I have my career with blah, blah, blah. And it, oh, come on, man. You know, this will, but. So I'm, I'm not saying it's a linear thing. You can try the side hustle. You can try 
becoming a painter in the you know in the part time and you know see if you can sell your artwork and this but the thing about employment is it's an all enveloping thing because when you stop nine to five you don't free up nine to five you free up 24 hours a day seven days a week that's what you free up because your life is no longer prescribed by at the end of the week you go to the pub on a saturday you go out and get wrecked on a Sunday, you stay in till midday because you're wrecked and you've got a hangover. And then you prepare on Sunday evening to go to work the next day. So when you stop your job, it's not 35 hours a week that is whatever. It's like seven times 24 hours is freed up. Well, yeah. It, okay, it, it, so. It's, uh, it's, it's not just about the time that's freed up, right? There are other, there are other, in, intan up. there are other intangible resources that you recapture, right? Like, you get your mind back. Your, your mind can be liberated to think and create. Yeah. I think the danger is... Sorry. Oh, I was just going to ask about Death Ground. That's from Art of War, right? Um, or is it from Art Yeah, I mean, it's not new, but it's in Art of War. And it, I read Robert Greene's 48 Laws of Power and stuff. I think about it. And that then mentioned Art of War Sun Tzu and everything. I think it's yeah. a really interesting concept. And, like, it's kind of scary at first. But once you kind of like think about it it makes so much sense that if you put your back up against the wall you're almost forced to actually you know create or it's like the uh, necessities the mother of invention it's like you put yourself in a position where you can only sink or swim and that's when you have your best performance but as long as you're still sucking right. resources from your job you can't actually do that because you don't have the motivation but when you do the death ground strategy you have to be realistic that you may die <laughs> you absolutely may sink okay because people think oh, if i do that my creativity will be unleashed and i'll work through it you may not okay and you may go back to employment with your tail between your legs you may lose the house you live in you may lose the relationship with your girlfriend or your partner whoever it is because they think you're a jerk you know you may lose whatever and that's going back to what i said before the thing about doing it when you're young is better because you do have less responsibilities even though you've got responsibilities on you, you do have less responsibilities than when you're 35 or 40 and you've got kids or you've got a family or you've got you know, a partner, you're married and what have you. So, but if you choose to go down the route of opting out of the rat race, of doing your own thing, of taking a chance of the death ground strategy, whoever you're with, your partner has to agree with that. Because if things become difficult and you don't earn money or things are really tight, there's going to be a whole load of shit you're going to have to experience from your partner. So you have to discuss with your partner. If they're a relevant person to you, they're a proper someone in your life. You have to decide to go forwards together. Because if things don't work out straight away, you're going to suffer hell from your partner. Okay, if they haven't agreed with what you're doing. If you just announce to them one day, okay, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to do blah, blah, blah. And I'm going to blah, blah, blah. And then eight months later, you're still a loser. Your partner's going to lie. They're going to rip you to shreds. Okay. So you have to say to them, listen, I need to do this. One, because I need to save my life because I'm not happy doing what I'm doing. And they really need to understand that. And two is that, and then instilling them, this, you're doing this for a reason. You're not just being an idiot. You're doing it for a reason. And are they, if they don't agree with it, Perhaps you're with the wrong person. Because they don't want you to be happy. They want themselves to be happy. So, 
you know, it's, 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 these are life-changing things. But yeah, the death ground strategy, you may die. <laughs> it's interesting. I think the... You may fucking die, man. The, the, the death ground strategy and this whole unemployable, like, kind of philosophy, it, it is, like, it is a philosophy, right? You have to do it almost out of, like, a belief in this, this value of, like, freedom because there's a good chance you're going to fail. Like, you can't do it as... I guess, like, what am I trying to say? It's like you can't do it from like a rational, like I'm gonna do this to get the highest, you know, expected value. You almost like you have to be like, I just believe in this lifestyle, so I'm gonna do it whether I get fucked or not, right? Like it's almost like yeah, you have to be completely irrational. Yeah, you have to be completely because it's not sensible. So you do have to be irrational to because it's not sensible to, to add to that. To add to that, when um, when I was considering leaving wage slave labor. I didn't, I didn't know that the survival and kind of the, the AC versus DC lifestyle was what was for me. I didn't know, but I would have never known if I didn't try. What I did know was that I didn't want this thing. And so I removed that thing and then, you know, let life t take its course. But yeah, I think Chris is, is absolutely right. Like, this is not an expected value calculation. This is, I know myself at my core. And freedom is one of my key values, and I'm going to go try to find it. Uh, you've already got the value, and the value is you've escaped your employment, or you've escaped entrapment, that that forms something you don't want. That is the value there straight away, that you've, you've subtracted something from your life which you hate, which you don't want. So already you've got value. Everything else is like a bonus. This is what I mean, say, don't be an ungrateful person. You know, you've literally subtracted something which you don't like from your life. Be satisfied with that and go forwards. Don't expect, ah, oh, within a year, I'm going to have $100,000 in my bank account. That's great. Okay, that's all great. But don't say, this is what's going to happen. If it doesn't happen, I'm a loser. You're already a winner as far as I'm concerned because you've left behind what you don't want in life. So straight away, you're in a better position. That's the value. That is the value. Everything else is additive. You want the additive stuff. You want that. But the real value comes from the via negativa, from the elimination of something in your life which you don't want. So it's like I said before, you know, I've said it before that, you know, it's, it's, it's far more satisfying turning down a job than accepting a job. Like I've known that for years. It, when I accepted a job in the past, a little bit inside me died. Something inside me died when every job I've accepted. Yeah, everything I have to do for something, somebody else. It's not... It, something inside me is like it's it's smiths i don't have anyone that's listened to the smiths or morrissey you know i was brought up listening to the smiths and everything it's like you know i, I was looking for a job and then i found a job heaven knows i'm miserable now you're actually looking for something which makes you miserable it's like what the fuck is that about you're looking for something which is making you miserable and you start it and you're miserable so what that's not that can't be right why are you looking for something which is going to make you miserable and then you think oh it won't make me miserable it'll be fine no it won't be it will make you miserable. You know it make you because it made you miserable before. It'll be fine for a few months and then you'll be miserable again. So every time I accepted a job, it's a little bit, something inside me died. You know, so as soon as I could then turn down jobs, it's like, no, I don't need this. Don't need that. It feels great. It feels absolutely fantastic. Refusing a job. You don't need to. Whether you've got money or not, it's literally you refuse a job. Even if it's sensible to take it, financially sound to take it, 
I know it sounds crazy because people say, and that's just stupid, man, because you've got responsibilities, you've got this, you've got that. It's so great when you say to yourself, I've lost nothing. Because then you're in charge of what you do. You're in charge of your own future. It doesn't mean it will all work out right, but at least you're in charge of things. And if you make mistakes, they're on you. You know, if you do well, it's on you. You know, and uh, so... Uh, you have to be irrationable. You mustn't be sensible. You have to be stupid. You have to be immature. You have to be all the things that they tell 20 year olds not to be. I think you have to be to save your own life. Yeah, because you have to save everyone's life. We don't need therapy, but you need to save your own life. Yeah. So why would you do stuff that you don't want to do? That's not saving your life. That's that's like chronic death by a thousand cuts. Guru, I think you've got to be in the upper decile of ranters of all time. <laughs> yeah, probably. Excellent. Gangfit is ranting on paper, basically. <laughs> I think I that's mean, why I liked know? reading it so much, is that it is that it didn't have like it didn't feel like, oh, chapter one, chapter two, like here's the story. It was just very much how my mind works and it kept me interested. Because it was like this, this, and then yeah. Here's a tangent into a completely different thing. And um, yeah, your style of writing is very like ADD kind of. I mean, I mean it as a compliment. <laughs> yeah, it I mean it as a compliment because that's no, no, no. it's easy for me to to like follow, yeah. you know, and enjoyable. Uh, I've purposely done it so that it's like essays. It's just like a, a block of text. Yeah. And then it's another block of text and another block of text. So basically, it's just someone hitting you in the face. Okay. They hit you in the face. And then you're okay. Then they hit you in the face again. It's like a hammer. Everything is like a nail. It's like a hammer hitting a nail. That's all it is. So it's a block of text, a block of text, a block of text. I've just written like a, it's only 2,000 something words, a children's book, which a friend of mine is illustrating. It's the same thing. It's a block of text. It's a block of text. It's a block of text. So it's just like bam, 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 bam. That's the way I write. I can't do anything about it. That's just my style. But it's what I believe. It's like this. So it's a form of ranting on paper. You know, it's a form of hitting someone in the face. It makes sense. That's that, how it, it works. makes sense why but, you've developed a following on Twitter too, because that's how I I love tweeting, and it's just because of anything I think of, any fucking random two sentences, boom, and it and it's it's a whole thing, boom. You know, well, I kind of. Well, I mean, uh, th this, th um, I was just gonna say. Um, I mean, what I like about. Mark, you're writing the most is not necessarily the philosophy, but that I had a feeling that I was getting to know you candidly through the writing. And what's been so interesting about this podcast is, you know, a lot of people have a divergence between their um, their writing name, their their writing personality, their Twitter personalities, and who they are in real life. Um, and it was so obvious, and this podcast confirms it that. Um, as far as I can tell, you're, you know, you're the same person, you know, you're just living your experiences and delivering them on paper, um, which I think is, uh, is, is rare. It's a rare beast. Uh, I, 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 I can't see why you'd write about stuff, which isn't true, you know, which doesn't, which isn't visceral, which doesn't, you know, cause what you're, you're, it's basically the contents of your brain vomited on paper. So why would, why would you, write about what's in your brain and put it down on paper uh it's not a construct obviously you know when you write a book you have to write things in a certain way or whatever you have to be that people can understand what you're writing but 
if you're writing a book about lifestyle, then you have to write a, li a book about, well, it's essentially about my life, isn't it? So it's just ranting about my life. That's all it is. It's great. Writing a book's really great because it's just a form of ranting. And so why would you, if you're some internet, whatever, writing about lifestyle and health and everything, and you're not doing it, uh, to me, that's incomprehensible. It's like, why, why would you do that? That's like, you, you must be, it's not that you're lying to people. You're just lying to yourself. So it's like, you know, so I'll be the same. I know it's boring, but I'll, you know, I'll be down the pub and rant about the same thing with a friend, you know, or a stranger I meet. I'll, I'll try, try and curb my whatever. But, you know, so I'll be the same because it's just me talking. It's just me. My writing is just me talking. That's what it is. So when, I don't know because I don't I read my writing. But people tell me, you know, when you read an author, you hear a voice inside your head of what you think the author's going to sound like. So sometimes that doesn't work well when you actually sound like them. You know, when I listen to myself, I sound like Mickey Mouse. OK, so I don't like it. I don't like listening to myself because I hear myself in my head. So it's a completely different sound to when I listen. You know that on podcasts, you've got your own voice that you hear. And you listen to yourself on a podcast and you think, oh, shit, is that what I sound like? So I don't like that. So I like writing because I don't have a voice because I sound like Mickey Mouse. Oh, that's what I think. You know, and it's like, well, you're meant to be like macho. Well, I'm not I, macho bullshit. You know, it's meant to be a certain way or what have you, you know. And then if you listen to my voice, it's like, well, 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 Mickey Mouse. And um, um, but yeah, you will find what you, you know, you get what it says on the tin. So. What I say in Gangfit is basically what I am. Imagine like Clockwork Orange, like you were just getting into like gang fights and then you're stopping to like write a little, uh, like a little essay about how people should uh, get in a fight or do some sprints or <laughs> not go, not go fast <laughs> for a little bit. Then you go back and like beat up some other gangs. That's, that's what I was imagining the whole time. <laughs> and I quite enjoy it. <laughs> hey, guru, what's, what's, what what's, is your, it? what's your, what's your gang of droogs called? What do you guys, what do you guys call yourselves? I'm 60, mate. We don't call ourselves anything like the, I don't know, by postcode gang or, or the Reds or I don't know what you have over there. You have like the Crips and the Bloods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm a little bit old for the Crips and the Bloods thing. You know what I mean? So it's like, <laughs> dude, he just, you know, I mean, I've got he's, my new, he's not a writer. He's not an employable. You, you thought he was going to have a name for his gang. A real gang has no name. They're, they're... Well, maybe. Yeah. A real gang is just a collection of people, isn't it? I don't know. The Amazonian tribes people call themselves. You know, they have some name for their gang. So I don't have a name for anything, you know, it's like whatever. But yeah, perhaps if I was younger, we might call it. I mean, in London, you have gangs that call themselves by the, post, by the postcode, by the area code of where they live or by the council estate of where they live or something like that or some other fancy name. But a lot of it is the, the gangs are identified from the part of London where they live and then they battle against other parts of London, you know, other postcodes, which is all dumb, really, because... As I say in Gangfit, they're not your enemies, really. They're not the people who are trying to keep you down, these other gangs. You know, it's like society in general is like smothering you. So, you know, you have to go from being a young kid, realising that those aren't the enemy as such. It's not the other gang isn't your enemy. You know, they're just like you. They're just living somewhere else. Uh, the enemy is, you know, it's like trying to control your mind. It's not a conspiracy. It's just you doing your own thing. That's all. Um, but yeah, I mean, essentially gang fit, you know, I write from like observation and experience and things that I think about. So I, I can't see why you wouldn't write about what, how you think yeah, you, you, you write of, what you think a, and a how lot, you are. A lot of people do. Cause I think, you know, they're trying to impress or they're trying to sell books or whatever, whatever their, 
they're maximizing for. There, there's definitely a divergence between who people are and the signals that they want to project. Yeah, yeah. I think my daughter, as you know, is she owns an art gallery. Uh, she's owned an art gallery for five years and she's a painter as well. And some tortured painters have, you know, they've got a real problem with selling their work because they think as soon as they sell their work, they become they're commercial and then then them painting for their customers you know and uh but i think people have to get over that because if you're an artisan if you're a writer whoever you are be authentic and sell it there's nothing wrong with selling it you know it's not like you're authentic and you've got no money or you're commercial and you sell lots of things i don't see there's any problem with producing something authentic and selling it that doesn't mean you're a sellout if it's a lie you're a sellout if you're writing for the market you're a sellout but if you're just writing what you feel and you distribute it and people want to buy it that's great don't have any problem with that but there are a lot of painters who have a problem with that because there's certain things you can do in painting for instance if you do still life in a painting if you put in citrus fruits oranges and lemons for some reason those paintings will sell more than if you haven't got citrus fruits in you know if you do paintings of roses or paintings of animals they're more sellable than other types of paintings so some painters I know they like they only paint roses because they know roses sell but they don't want to paint roses because they painted roses for the past 25 years and they feel constricted as artists and I think well just don't you know you've let yourself get into that position where you're painting roses because you know they sell but it's artistically putting you in a straitjacket you know but I think if you're an artisan and you're authentic just create and then allow people to buy it there's nothing wrong with that but uh, so, I, so I know some people say, well, you're selling stuff on Twitter or you're doing that and it's about marketing. Oh, well, that's bullshit. Because as I think, uh, Chris, as you said, you know, no one's completely free. You do need to somehow do something which generates something which can feed you. We all need to be fed. So you need to generate something, you know. But if you generate something by something authentic, then that's great. That's what you should be doing. That's what i think that's what we're hoping for this podcast is it's a bit autobiographical of our like friendship and ideas we're exploring and um we want to just like talk about ideas that we think are making our lives better and then just riff about it on camera and hopefully people will you know enjoy it and get some value out of it unfortunately we might not be as steezy as you so we'll see if anyone ever ends up liking our autobiographical rants you've obviously found uh, product market fit but I think being authentic to yourself and putting it on the internet is it seems it just seems like it makes the most sense um yes why well yeah yeah uh i think it's now we have the tools to do that uh, i think that's great i think that's a great thing that and, and nobody can suddenly can feed themselves via you know the internet and technology i think that's a great development i think that's a fantastic development uh, so empowering you know it's like you can change your life so quickly you know overnight i couldn't do it when i was 20 because there weren't the resources there and i didn't have the knowledge but now knowledge is free information is free the resources are free or they're pennies so don't ever let anyone tell you it's like things are difficult man it's just there for every young person parents have got to brainwash their children that there's literally millions of resources they've got they can create a great life not that there's scarcity not that there's victimhood none of that they can inculcate what they should be doing is saying to their children look at this wonderful world out there 
and all these possibilities there are it's just incredible it's just it's like an explosion of opportunity it's just amazing I, I, I wish i was i wish i was your age seriously i wish i was your age now i've got 20 more years to live and i'm going to be like you know disintegrate you know in a few years time i'm going to be gaga or something i won't be i won't know how to put my shoelaces shoes on you know so i wish i was like in my 20s you're such amazing things ahead of you are you going to be the uh the oldest man ever to run a uh, a marathon Oh, marathon's not your thing. Maybe maybe a 100-meter dash is the fastest <laughs> ever centenarian time. Do you know what? I think the world record for 100 meters for a 100-year-old is something like 29 seconds oh, or something. Oh, you got that. You got that in the bag. Man, man, I won't even reach 100. It's, it's an achievement to reach 100, to wake up with a pulse at that age, I let mean, alone running 100 meters. I mean, he's going to do 100 pull-ups. He's going to do 100 pull-ups when he's 100. <laughs> he's like, a pull-up for every year. And then he's going to tweet about it. 100. <laughs> he's going to be yeah, like, all these, well, yeah, all these joggers <laughs> need to do some pull-ups. He's going to bust out 100 pull-ups. Hey, man, as long as i still got my six-pack, I don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah Guru, Guru, when, when does the uh, six-pack at 100 come out? I guess we got to wait 40 years, huh? Six-pack at 100. Fucking hell. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, it doesn't, it's not alliterative, is it? It's like six-pack at 100 doesn't work. Six-pack at 60 works. It's alliterative, that's, rolls that's off true. the tongue. So I'd have to do 100-something at 100. Yeah. You know, or a century, uh, a century, or something, whatever. Yeah, so right. It needs to be alliterative. You know, everything alliterative is very sticks in the mind, and you know, uh, rolls off the tongue. So it'd have to be a hundred, perhaps a hundred press ups, a hundred. That's not very impressive, is it? But uh, or maybe it is. I don't know. I don't know what it's like being a hundred. You know, it's quite an achievement being a hundred. So in this country, you're a hundred. You get a telegram from the Queen. It's personally been signed by the Queen. Congratulations on your hundredth birthday. So uh, being a hundred is quite important. Hey. Yeah. All right. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. With with that, should we uh, should we close out, gents? It's been great talking to you. Thank you yeah. so much. Thanks for inviting me on. Thank you much and, for coming uh, on. Yeah, but speak to you again. Yeah. 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 Be, yeah thank you, Guru. Really enjoyed talking with you. And you. Yeah. Good. Good. Guru's got to go do some. Nice sprints. talking to. Some the track yeah, is going to some sprints. Yeah. Isn't it? <laughs> Do you know I, never, what? I never thought Just a book would make me want to do me. sprints. I, I was telling them that. I was like, because I hate running. I was like, I never thought I'd read a book and it make me want to do sprints. <laughs> really? There you go. That's a revelation in itself, isn't it? You see? So you never know. But I'm actually, even though I talk about low carbon or everything, Friday night in Somerset is fish and chip night, which is the archetypal British Ooh. meal, isn't it? Yeah. Fish and chips. So I'm having that in a minute. Fish and chips and mushy peas and a pickled egg. So uh, that's what I'm going to have in a minute. So en en enjoy that. So enjoy that. Carb. We won't, yeah. we won't, we won't keep you from you. it. All right. Yeah, see you cheers, later, guys. Good speaking to you. See you. Bye. Bye.